0: scripture passage this morning is the lectionary psalm for the day, that timeless classic, the 23rd Psalm. Hear these words written millennia ago that still speak deeply meaningful words to us all these years later. Has there ever been a more profound work of writing? Perhaps or perhaps not. Let us hear the 23rd Psalm.
1: Words. It's amazing, weren't you off cutting a rug and dancing last night that I see on Facebook for your twenty for your for your Friday night, <laughs> and now you're reading the twenty third Psalm in church. Yeah. <laughs> Just getting down on Facebook. You should have seen this guy. Now he's here delivering the most profound Psalm reading to us. <clears throat> Funny, and happy birthday, by the way.
2: <laughs>
1: so the great theologian. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, one of the best, one of the most insightful Old Testament scholars and theological really public theologians—in the world today. He once wrote of our Psalm 23 today that Larry just read for us. He wrote, "Quote: It is almost pretentious to comment on this psalm. The grip it has on biblical spirituality is deep and genuine. It is such a simple statement that it can bear its own witness." without comment." End of quote. Well, Brueggemann then went on to comment on this psalm for about five chapters <laughs> <laughs> after writing that statement. But how could he not, you know? How could he not? It is, after all, perhaps, um, said in the, Larry said in the intro, one of the most important and meaningful you know, pieces of writing um, composed ever, based on how many lives it has touched over the last 2,500 years and and how many lives it still continues to to touch today, so far removed from its ancient composition. I believe its stain power is obvious. It speaks to all facets of our lives. Wherever we find ourselves in in the midst of the joys or the struggles, fears, and the evils that befall or surround us but then it goes on and it dares to proclaim that in the midst of those realities we are held by a power that sustains us in all times it's no wonder this short powerful piece of writing is so timeless and so cherished now so many of the psalms are in fact though the 23rd does seem to have a really special place for so many people but For me, I really like to think the Psalms are the most uh, meaningful of scriptures in the entirety of the biblical canon, for they are what they are. They're just there. They are what they are. They don't pretend to be anything other than what they were written to be. Experiences of life in relation to this grand mystery that we're all trying to grapple with and understand that we name God, both communal and individual, and they're not like the other scriptures. They're not like all so many of the other scriptures which are so often things to be believed you know Um, or that often appear way too hard to be trying trying to prove something so much of the gospels are are that way but not the psalms they're not to be believed at all they're not to prove anything in fact they are just meant to be lived and simply experienced as someone else's experience of god in the past the psalms in fact were were created um, roughly over like five centuries. I I know the story is David sat down and penned however many Psalms they are. It's not true. You're still gonna hear it today. I'm sure it's being, it's lectionary, so it's being preached all over. And I'm sure there's people, David sat down and wrote Psalm 23. No, David didn't sit down and write Psalm 23. But they are written by all sorts of people, women, I firmly believe women, and men. Over time, uh, who were writing amidst all sorts of times. I mean, we're talking five centuries here, and those times were good and they were bad. And you know what? The cool thing about the Psalms are they were often set to music. These were musical pieces, and they were sung in worship settings and seasons to reflect the realities that were unfolding, uh, mainly around around Israel, both in the good times and in the not so good times. But they have transcended that original context and they become something much more universal for they speak both to and from the universal experience of what it means to be human what it means to be a human being the human condition as we call it and all that life throws at us and it sometimes seems to throw the sink at us doesn't it (laughs) so when you sit down and read through the psalms i know you're all going to do that this afternoon you're going to go dust your Bible, blow the dust off your Bible on the shelf. <laughs> big cloud. <laughs> I'm, just I'm just kidding. You're going to go find that Bible, and you're going to read these Psalms, and you're going to see that they're set amidst the backdrop of... Some are, some are set against the you know different times. Like Some are set against the backdrop of really good times. You're going to see that some others are really painful or plea-like in tone for those times when the world just seems really bleak, and others are really hopeful envisioning a future that maybe doesn't even yet exist but confident that there will come a day when the times will be much better some express only one of these states in life that's the the role of the psalm but others weave you in and out and reflect several states moving from loss or or deep anxiety to a sense of of uh, goodness or being found or moving from despair to courage and almost some of them being invincible are so all in there in fact Brueggemann, i mentioned earlier has a really meaningful way of categorizing in ver- the various fields of the psalms and i find it really helpful he identifies three types or maybe better said three movements of psalms and in the lives uh, of those that wrote them the first he calls a place of orientation meaning psalms that reflect on times when things are good and who doesn't love to sing a good song when psalm when times are good Life is generally devoid of tension and, and stress, and there seems to be a sense of order. Psalm 137, or forty seven says, All you people, clap your hands, shout to God with joy. That's really the essence of the entire psalm. Things are good. Life is good. It's a time to celebrate. The second place that the psalms reflect on is what he calls a place of disorientation. Kind <laughs> of a term for today. Meaning a time of difficulty or distress or absence or powerlessness or perhaps fear. Now life in these times feels off, off kilter, and times can seem really hard. Disorientation, or in disorientation, there can seem to be a little sense of hope, and things are again really bleak. And those of you that have ever read Psalm one thirty seven know what I'm talking about. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. You know, not happy-go-lucky stuff. No, not happy-go-lucky stuff, but things are, are pretty bleak. But the third category, Brueggemann calls reorientation, a time of renewed hope, as though we've been pulled from those terrible times with like a renewed sense of gratitude or courage or Or joy and especially confidence so again some psalms exhibit only one of these things these states of being yet others are rhythmic and move through a sense of orientation through this terrible period of of disorientation and into the light of a new day Um, those are what we consider the most powerful psalms and today's psalm 23 is exactly that. I mean, just look at it. You, you all, do you all know it by heart? Do you know this psalm by heart at this point? Do you think you could recite it by heart? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Anybody want to try? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm on that spot here. It begins, you all know it, the Lord is my shepherd. And it's metaphorical. Let's, let's just recognize we're speaking metaphorically here. It's someone doing this metaphor. It's beautiful. Uh, but it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, and it talks of like a trusted, gentle guide who leads us to the beauty and the lushness of a Green pasture or calm, still waters. A great sense of peace and tranquility. Life is good, right? And with God as your shepherd, you're always on the right path and you're going in the right direction and you're kind of just guided by this eternal presence like you're always living in Joel Osteen's church. (laughs) (laughs) It's just going in a great direction. (laughs) Life's in balance and God... It's just leading the way to all the good things in life. And there's no tension, no worry, just a lot of peace. But then comes verse 4, and suddenly things get really bleak. And we hear how our, our psalmist uh, sings of walking through the darkest of valleys. Now, many of you were probably raised with that translation that we read today in the, in the valley of the shadow of death. And that is the reason why generally about the only time you ever hear the psalm is that what? Funerals, right? As though it was only talking about death and the dying process, but the image of the of the darkest valley, it's so much richer, and it opens this psalm up to all those times, not just about death, but about when life just seems tough and really hard, and in Brueggemann's words, disoriented or out of control or anxiety-laden and and fearful so we need to broaden that out because the psalm can relate to way more way more times than our own funerals or someone else's funeral it can relate to every aspect of our lives when the times are hard the psalmist then speaks of evil indicating that something was not quite right and good for our writer that truly times were heavy with fear but the psalmist doesn't dwell there for very long but Shifts now to the future where goodness and mercy and kindness will follow them as they say all the ways of their day. And and it offers this incredible image, if you caught it, of a renewed sense of peace by saying, Yes, there is evil and darkness and difficult times. We have so much to fear, but we're not going to let it shake us. We're not going to let it shake us. So the psalmist gives us the greatest of gifts in this image of of peace in the midst of those awful times, whatever they are for us. And they lay out this vision of a table prepared and a feast with a cup overflowing. I mean, this is a really beautiful image and it's right there in the smack of all the pain and the evil and the fear or whatever's going on as he or she calls it. Imagine in the worst of your times, you just envision a table spread for you and you're just enjoying the goodness of life. We've been given the gift of a wide interpretive lens on this image and metaphor, and and that is that wherever you find yourself, whatever is befalling you in the particular situations in your life, whatever darkest valleys that you find yourself in, the psalmist is saying, I've been there. You too have a presence within and around you that will sustain you through those darkest of valleys. And into the light of a new horizon don't linger long in other words in the times of disorientation and fear for you are a part of an unfolding and unfathomable holy mystery that you cannot even begin to explain but can only trust is present mm. we call that unfathomable mystery god that's the closest we can come to naming it with our limited language and and this psalmist in my opinion, captured the entirety of the God mystery beautifully in those ancient hills, putting words to music and reflecting on the peace that God instills in even the toughest of times, if we can just trust it. Now, it goes without saying that this is a perfect psalm for us in these rather, god dang it, disoriented times, right? Right? I have a feeling Psalm 23 has been prayed and read a lot, a lot in, in the various things that people have been going through the last couple of years. We are living in heavily disoriented times. Let's not run from it. Let's just own it. In fact, the, it, the Psalm really kind of came up at the perfect time in a lectionary, I think, today. And for many of us I know, you know, feel as though we're living. God, we're just constantly in a valley, you know, Constantly living amidst the darkest valley, amidst life's ever-increasing stress and, and division and fear and, my God, the discriminations that are out there and the growing judgmental and exclusionary nature of our civic culture these days. Doesn't it all just seem really disorienting? We feel it perhaps as we grapple, you know, with changes in our in our lives or aging or health issues or issues in our families that we love and that we cherish. The valleys are wide and the valleys are deep. We feel it as we grieve losses of loved ones and grieve the losses maybe of the harmony that we once felt in our nation and in our world and just in our ways of of life. The valleys are wide and they can be deep and they can be really, really dark. The disorientation can be powerful. Mm. But the psalm reminds us that those bad times, these bad times, these days, and the uncertainty and the fear and the anxiety, though they will happen. We know this, right? They happen. It's not where we're meant to live and dwell. And it's not truly our natural or normal state that what Brueggemann called those reoriented lives, that is truly the way of life that we are supposed to live. So this beautiful Psalm and the one who first sung it or wrote it reminds us again that we can't stay, as my favorite Christmas song sings, amongst life's crushing loads. But we have to keep walking through the shadows of the valley, you know, always looking forward, searching for the light that we trust is coming. We have to trust it's coming we have to trust it's there, and it's waiting for us. We have to be confident that, that we too sit amidst that table, you know? That table of good things, and even the most terrible evil and division and fear surrounding us, that even those things don't have a say over us, even though they will seem to, but that there are good days ahead, that goodness and mercy, as the psalmist said, is just around the corner We have to trust these days will not win in the end. That is not just lip service for me either. Well wishes for the future of the kind of of stuff to make us feel better, you know? Mike, just get up there and make everybody feel better. You know? Just for a short time before we all go back to the panic, Sunday afternoon. (laughs) The psalmist didn't offer us Softball words are challenging times. For you know what? Whoever wrote those words, whoever sat down and penned those words, penned, <laughs> whoever quilled, whoever quilled those words was going through something really hard. Because you don't write about being in dark valleys that way in life if you haven't been there now they knew that was not their destiny goodness was and just as you don't write about being in those darkest valleys without having been there likewise you don't write about the presence of that which we name God and peace like this without having experienced that as well so trust my words is what the psalmist is saying and your valleys will be bathed with light as well and you like they believed can overcome anything that's the power of these psalms they're just beautiful speaking of the power of of uh, this psalm 23 uh, there's no song more powerfully reflected of its vision than a song i'd like us to sing now as we conclude the sermon time it's a classic song you all know called precious lord favorite probably of many of you and the reason i want to sing it's because It was this psalm that inspired a young man named Thomas A. Dorsey. Now, don't be confused with Tommy Dorsey, as I was. (laughs) Though they're both amazing musicians in their own right. He wrote this song. If you ever wonder where it came from, because it's a timeless classic like Psalm 23. He wrote it against a really dark valley, the backdrop of a really dark valley. You see, Dorsey was becoming a well-known gospel singer and songwriter in the 20s. And into the 1930s, you could say his life in Brueggemann's language was oriented towards a time of thriving goodness. And he got married to the love of his life. And they were going to have their first child. And his fame was spreading. And Tommy, Thomas, I'm going to call him Thomas when it makes him up with Tommy Dorsey. Thomas, though his wife was close to giving birth, he was still singing and traveling because he was getting so popular. And he went to St. Louis for a big gospel revival where he was slated to be the main singing act. And he got there, and the crowds were huge, and he dazzled them, and he was on top of the world. Life was good. Life was great, actually. So he sang and sang, and he was exhausted. Finally, the story goes, he had a chance to sit down and just take a rest. As he did, a messenger found him and delivered the message that his wife had died while giving birth. So shocked, he, uh, Thomas rushed back to his hometown where it was confirmed that she did indeed die, you know, while giving birth. But the baby, a son, had lived, but only till nightfall. So he buried them both in the same casket a few days later, and he journeyed into what can only be described as one of the darkest of valleys imaginable. He walked that valley, and as he did, the story is he felt God was powerfully with him in this time of unbearable grief. And this took over time. God was never leaving his side, even as his world just completely fell apart. And he used, he used that trust, like our psalmist, like so many of those ancient psalm writers that left us these beautiful works. He used that to climb out of that valley and claw his way back up into the light and to trust man, there's still goodness in this world, and there's still goodness ahead for him. That the pain of the valley he was walking would never be his final say, regardless of what he just went through. And through that journey, he ended up writing one of the greatest songs of all time, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. I'm not going to sing it for you You are in a second. This is not my Obama moment, trust me. <laughs> We'll get that later. (laughs) He wrote one of the most powerful songs ever written. Precious Lord, take my hand. And to me, this shows us that like our psalmist long ago, he or she that penned that beautiful work, or like Thomas Dorsey in 1932 when he wrote that song, like like so many of the Holocaust survivors whose stories that we're going to hear today, you know, when we go to this museum in just a bit, well, it shows that like them, we too can rise up even from the worst of times and say with our ancient psalmist and their trust, their vision, their words, their song that surely, surely no matter what happens in life, goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life. And we will dwell in the house of this incredible mystery that we name God our whole lives long. And that is the story. I wonder if we'll rise up in body or spirit now. I think we should, When you wanna sing this one, sit or stand. standing, let's just sit and sing. Oh wait, no, we're gonna, this is a little more gospel, isn't it? Okay, let's rise up in body or spirit. We're living on the fly here. Let's sing this beautiful song together that Thomas A. Dorsey wrote. It's a living version of Psalm 23. Great song for us to take into our week. Precious Lord, take my hand. Seated. What a beautiful song that is. To hear you all singing it too, that song really means something to you, I can tell. Because you belted that out like you don't belt out most hymns. (laughs) I love it. It's great. The song means a lot to us, as does Psalm 23. So I hope you found some meaning in uh, that little story. And uh, when the times are hard for you and really tough, I hope you maybe turn to that psalm and just look at it and go, all right, people have been here before I can get through anything. Amen.